Let us begin in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, welcome to another edition of Seeds of Truth. This is your host, Joe Holcraft, coming to you from KKXX Studios, Chico Life Radio, 104.5 FM and AM 930. It is great to be with you another Friday evening, where we continue to journey through uh, the sacred text, the Bible. Uh, Today, this fifth Sunday of Lent, we have the opportunity to get into the Gospel of John. But before we get into the Gospel of John, we are going to spend a little bit of time with our first reading uh, this evening, which will have us in the prophet Jeremiah, a very important verse and series of verses you've probably heard me talk about before. But given our gospel text today, we certainly have to get into uh, Jeremiah this evening. And I will do this with Debbie Rosales, who is uh, here in studio with me. So, Debbie, great to have you with me another evening. Thank you, Joe. You know, Debbie, it is always a fun thing for me to ask people what their favorite Old Testament book is, a chapter, a verse. And so often people go to the likes of Psalm 23, who does not like that great chapter, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. So many consoling words that come to us from that chapter. And of course, Genesis 3.15 in the Proto-Evangelion, the first gospel, after the fall, we have the Lord speaking directly to the serpent, saying, I will put enmity between you and the woman between your seed and hers. Again, the first gospel, this is a very exciting passage. And for some of us, maybe it's Isaiah chapter 11, verses 1 to 11, the verses we hear during the Advent season that speaks of this branch shooting forth from the stump of Jesse. These verses are, of course, tied to the long-standing tradition that we have during Advent in the Jesse tree. That being said, Debbie, among so many verses and passages, I do believe that Jeremiah chapter 31 verses 31 to 34 stands at the top um, because of just not its theological application to better understanding sacred scripture that we'll get to here in a bit, but also its spiritual application. Because in these verses, I believe we have what lies at the heart of our faith. Um, And so with that, let's go ahead and read these verses. I'll go ahead and read this. And just by way of setting the stage. This is Jeremiah, okay? He's prophesying during a time where the Babylonian army is on the doorstep. So the people are on the verge of being exiled in Babylon, and they are in great despair. And these are his words. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant which I made with their fathers when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, My covenant which they broke, though I was their husband, says the Lord. But this is the covenant which I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it upon their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Mm, Beautiful. So here again, you have two key pieces coming to us, Deb. The first of which is the significance of the word covenant and the usage of new covenant, the only time you see in the whole Old Testament the phrase new covenant being used. So what does that word mean, covenant? Well, in the Hebrew, Beirit, it speaks to this family bond. So often we think of covenants, Debbie, as an exchange of things, as an exchange of goods and services. You know, this is yours and this is mine. In sacred scripture, 
God elevates this idea of covenant to an exchange of persons. I am yours and you are mine. Uh, This is what we have in this great verse, huh? And I will be their God and they shall be my people. And if you really want to get to the heart of better understanding sacred scripture, we do go to this word covenant. I could never speak to this enough. This word that unlocks the whole Christian mystery. Debbie was one Saint Irenaeus, Bishop of Lyon, France, who said, if you want to understand how God has worked in the narrative of salvation history. If you want to get underneath it, you have to understand what the covenant is all about, what this family bond is all about. So this is what we have been about uh, through the years on this radio program, examining the language of covenant so as to better understand what lies at the heart of our faith. And certainly this applies to us today, not only in our gospel text, but in this first reading, Debbie, Because when you go into this passage, what you quickly discover is the significance of the greatness of covenant. Here is Jeremiah prophesying at a time of great despair, and he turns to the language of the covenant, specifically the new covenant, so that we might draw hope from the greatness of this oracle, from the greatness of this prophecy. You know, Debbie, in the Old Testament, sacrifice was the hallmark of the covenant-making ritual, a bloody sacrifice. Now, why is this significant? Well, alongside of what we just talked about, if you were to fast forward six centuries to the upper room, what do we read? We have some very important words from Christ. Listen to these words. This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And then he goes on, this chalice is the new covenant in my blood. The new covenant in my blood. What is Christ saying there? Six centuries later, he is consummating the new covenant in his blood. And what's so exciting about this is the language he uses. You know, the word covenant there in the Greek is diatheke. That translates Jeremiah 31's berit. It's the word we also use for testament. Now, remember what I've talked about in the past. When Jesus Christ says, this is the blood of the new covenant, he is literally saying, this is the blood of the New Testament. That's why the Eucharist is the New Testament. For the first 200 years in the early church, there's no corpus of books that is titled the New Testament. No, they were going around in the early Christian church and talking about the New Testament in the context to which Christ spoke of it in his blood. Therefore, the Eucharist was and is the New Testament. This is widely important. Now, let us go back to Jeremiah 31, where he was talking about the law no longer being etched on stone, but inscribed upon the heart. Debbie, when we receive the blood of the new covenant in the Eucharist, the very blood of Jesus Christ is running through our very veins. He means what he says, and he says what he means. We take this literally. This is why in John 6, he says, if you do not drink of my blood, you have no life within you. Was this symbolic? Well, if it was symbolic, why would the apostles want to leave him? So here you have this passage in Jeremiah 31, verses 31 and following, speaking of the new covenant, speaking of the New Testament, ultimately, one that is fulfilled in Christ's very own blood. And this is the gospel, Debbie. This is the good news, huh? Because when we receive our Lord in the Eucharist, he transforms us. If gospel literally means good news or transforming message, 
What message has more transformational power than that of the Eucharist? Amen. So we can begin to appreciate the importance of this first reading. And now, as it projects to today's gospel, I was going into 1 Corinthians 11, verse 25, and Paul quoting Mark 14, 24, in Jesus Christ saying, this is the blood of the new covenant. But that's not today's gospel. Let us go ahead and get today's gospel, and we'll quickly see the connection. So we're reading from John twelve twenty through 33. Some Greeks who had come to worship at the Passover feast came to Philip, who was from Bethesda in Galilee, and asked him, Sir, we would like to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew, Then Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the man of God to be glorified. Amen, amen, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains just a grain of wheat. But if it dies, it produces much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it, And whoever hates his life in this world will preserve it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me. And where I am, there also will my servant be. The Father will honor whoever serves me. I am troubled now. Yet what should I say? Father, save me from this hour. But it was for this purpose that I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it and will glorify it again. The crowd there heard it and said it was thunder, but others said an angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered and said, This voice did not come for my sake but for yours. Now is the time of judgment on this world. Now the ruler of this world will be driven out. And when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw everyone to myself. He said this, indicating the kind of death he would die. Amen. Thanks for that, Deb. It's a pretty intriguing thing when you go to that first verse. And you read, now among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. Mm -hmm. That is a tell, Debbie. We were just talking about the Old Covenant and New Covenant. Well, what was the Old Covenant about? It was this this national bond with God, Mm -hmm. entering into this family relationship with God. In the New Covenant, it is just not a covenant between Israel and God, but now Gentile, Jew, and Greek, right? So, The Greeks have come to worship. It's interesting that right after this verse, we have Jesus talking about his hour. Because up to this point, Jesus has been talking about his hour, but as something yet to come, right? In the wedding Mm -hmm. feast at Cana. Mm -hmm. Woman, my hour has yet to come. When he has that personal encounter with the Samaritan woman. And a number of other occasions in the Gospel of John up to this point, the Mm -hmm. hour was something that was yet to come. And here, the Greeks arrive on the scene. They have come to worship. They have come to worship, and now his hour has come. Why? Because in the Old Covenant, if the bloody sacrifice was the hallmark to the covenant-making ritual with God, then Jesus Christ, who is the Lamb of God, is to be made a sacrificial holocaust on the new altar in which all people, just not 
the Jews, but now again the Gentile, Jew, Greek alike, are to enter into covenant relationship with God. It's to remember the word Catholic coming from the Greek, katuhulike, means universal. Mm-hmm. Okay, universal. So this is a universal covenant, and it is sealed in the blood of the Lamb, just as it was in the Old Testament Passover. Uh, very important when you begin to see the significance of what is happening um, in these three years. Um, and this certainly is what John wants us to see. Fulton Sheen once said, Debbie, that we are born to live. Mm. Christ was born to die. Mm, and one could say, in dying, he shows us how to live, mm-hmm. that we must die to self so as to ultimately bear new life, which, of course, is what this uh, gospel is talking about. Um, we're called to be fruitful, and it says that here in uh, the gospel reading. So how does that happen? What does it mean to bear fruit? What does that mean? Um, it's a blessing. To being, being fruitful is a blessing. So <clears throat> for us, to be fruitful is to grow in virtue, to grow in holiness, that's how we have an effect on our brothers and sisters. That's how we do our part of the covenant. It's how we enter this family work mm-hmm. by serving Jesus. But in serving Jesus, we're serving our brothers and sisters. We can't do that if we're stuck in selfishness. Mm-hmm. If we're mm-hmm. thinking me, me, I, I, yeah. all the time, yeah. um, we're not fruitful. We're stunted. Mm-hmm. We're barren. Mm-hmm. In order to be fruitful, we have, must die to self that we may live, that we may have eternal life, Jesus says. And that only happens through serving him, which, of course, is serving our brothers and sisters. Mm. You know, it's interesting. Spring is coming a bit early, huh, here in Mm. the friendly confines of Chico, (laughs) California, Northern California. Mm. And my wife was making the comment, "We, we, we wanted to get rid of one of these bushes last fall, and I thought I got its root. I mean, I just hacked away out of it, and I got underneath <laughs> it. I thought I got all of it. Evidently, I didn't. Uh, and the reason why I wanted, we wanted to get rid of it is it was ugly. <laughs> it wasn't producing any fruit. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I cut it way, way back. And like everything in California, if you don't get underneath the root and uh, actually pull it all up, true. it will come back. Mm-hmm. And lo and behold, this bush is producing these beautiful blossoms, and we're like, Wow, this wow. thing is roaring back, you know. And this is what the gospel is about. Great analogy. You know, we have to allow God to wield his pruning knife mm-hmm. with our heart. Yeah, absolutely. And in doing so, we will yield fruit. But we need to allow God to do that work within us. Right. Uh, and I think this speaks to the uh, selfishness you were talking about, Debbie. As we're talking about this, I was made to think in my own kind of Lexio Divina and my own reading of this gospel before the Blessed Sacrament the other day, um, to insert myself in a verse here, Debbie. And I, I want to do this for our listening audience. This is, this is John chapter 12, verse 27. Now, this is Jesus talking, but imagine yourself saying this. Mm-hmm. Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, Save me from this hour? No, for this purpose I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. So we just said it. You know, Debbie, we were born to live. Christ was born to die. But in living, Christ shows us essentially how to live. That is to die. 
And we need to enter into the essence of what this verse is about. How often have we said, maybe explicitly, if not implicitly, Lord, my soul is deeply troubled. Take me down from this cross. Save me from this hour. Maybe we say this every day. But we, what we are made to realize, and we see it in God's grace, that providentially, in his eternal design, you were born for this hour, for this moment. Why is this so important? Because <laughs> saints are canonized because they embrace that truth, Debbie. Absolutely. Every saint comes out of a historical yep. context. They are saints because they embraced their cross in those moments mm-hmm. in their time. We are called to do exactly the same, inserting ourselves into this narrative. And what grace. Oh. What grace awaits us. I think it's really an interesting thing, Debbie, as you're sitting there across from me in the studio. I, this seems to be a theme, as you kind of join me every other week. Mm-hmm. You'd think that I talk about this every week, but really it's just like, if not every other week with you, once a month, because... You know, we just let the readings guide and steer us, but mm-hmm. I think God does want us to see something here, that that verse, chapter 12, verse 27, is a verse we do need to enter into. Absolutely. And seek understanding. And what is the great definition that comes to us from the church fathers? You know, when you look at what the word theology means, faith-seeking understanding, you know, fides corns intellectum, faith-seeking understanding. We enter into each and every moment, each and every encounter, and we ask God, what is the meaning of this? And if your soul is troubled, if your soul is troubled, go deeper. Mm-hmm. Go deeper and allow the mystery of the cross to unveil something to you, something anew. Very important. I love this topic. I have always learned more in my suffering mm. than in my skating. Mm-hmm. Mm. Always. Yeah. And, and we can do two things with these. We have two choices. Bitter, better. Mm-hmm. Do I want to be bitter? Is this, is this experience, is that what it's for? Mm-hmm. To make me bitter, hard, angry. Or is it meant to be bearing fruit, virtue, compassion, love, all the spiritual gifts of the Holy Spirit? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. You let him enter that suffering with you, which is what he wants to do. He's mm-hmm. there with you. Jesus is there with you. And let him enter in. Let him make that mark on your soul. I welcome you, Jesus. What is it that I'm supposed to see? What is it that I am supposed to grow? What area am I supposed to grow in? What is it that I'm not seeing or doing or feeling or whatever that is? And you're right, just... The humility and the the um, clay-like molding that will happen during suffering uh, is incredible. Mm-hmm. Nothing mm-hmm. compares to it. And it prepares us then for the easier time and for the next time of suffering. Mm-hmm. We, we know there's an, an end. There's a beginning and there's an end. It doesn't last forever. Yes. Yes. Praise God. C.S. Lewis once said that if if we were to embrace that next moment, which for us is so difficult to embrace, we capture a moment that would allow us to do something beyond our wildest imagination two, three, four months from now, if not two, three, four weeks from now. Mm -hmm. But we have to embrace 
the here and now. What's the, what's the right thing to do for four or five months from now? The next thing. Mm-hmm. Because the next thing is what's before you. Because if you miss the next thing, what, what you're supposed to do four to five months from now will be missed because the next thing was mm-hmm. missed. And that's so important. And I love that. That's an important image, you know, the, the, the bitter or, or the better. And what's fascinating to me as we're talking about this, Debbie, is a lot of our understanding theologically, philosophically, pastorally, practically on suffering comes to us from Paul's epistles. Well, there's a series of epistles known as uh, his prison epistles, mm-hmm. uh, or what? His, his letter to the Philippians, uh, his letter to the Ephesians, his letter to the Colossians, and his letter to Philemon are, are his prison ep- epistles, which means he wrote these epistles while he was incarcerated in Rome. And uh, to be incarcerated in Rome, to be in Rome's prisons is to... Is, That's is some to, suffering. Some serious suffering. <laughs> serious. Some serious suffering. I'm sitting here complaining about this cold I have today in the studio. <laughs> Give me a break. I'm so pathetic. Right? <laughs> here, Paul time and time again is talking about the importance of embracing our suffering Mm -hmm. that in doing so we actually share in the mystery and the redemptive power in the cross yes we've talked about it before debbie christ does not remove pain and suffering from our lives he shows us how to deal with it it that embracing it it actually gives our suffering redemptive power this is why in colossians 1 24 he says, that is Paul, again, writing in prison, we make up what is lacking in the sufferings of Christ, dot, 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 for the sake of the body of Christ, for the sake of the church. What is he saying? Well, over the last 2,000 years, in our suffering, when we offer our suffering up to God as a holy and acceptable offering to God, as a holy living offering to God. It is a spiritual worship that has redemptive power. This is what he talks about in Romans 12, verses 1 to 3. So there's, there's great power, Debbie, when we conform all that we are to the suffering Christ. He takes that suffering and he uses it to strengthen the body of Christ, the church. It's a great mystery, but it's a mystery we need to seek out. It's a mystery we need to ask questions about. This is a great point of conversation for just not non-Catholics, but I know for Catholics as well, to better understand this whole topic of redemptive suffering. Because if we're going to insert ourselves in chapter 12, verse 27, what we have to understand is the suffering that comes before us, whether it be um, the loss of a loved one, emotional suffering, or maybe physical suffering, or whatever kind of suffering is, that there's actual power in that, that it can be used as an instrument for the greater glory of God. But we have to be disposed. Mm -hmm. We have to be ready. We have to be willing to see this for what it is and, and to enter into that deeper conversation with God and inquire, Lord, what is this that you want me to do? Mm -hmm. You know, Mm -hmm. how do you want me to deal with this? And how many of you, I know you have experienced this, if you've offered that suffering and, and you've taken away these beautiful lessons and grown in virtue, within weeks, sometimes months, sometimes years, the Lord calls upon you. You meet someone who is suffering in that exact same way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It happens over and over and over. And the Lord says, okay, I've equipped you to serve 
your brother, your sister. I've equipped you with that example. You know, you've already experienced it. You experienced my saving grace, my my mercy, my love for you. <clears throat> Share that with your brother or your mm-hmm. sister mm-hmm. over and over again. And so if we've let our heart get bitter in that situation, we don't. not only do we not recognize when our brother and sister comes to us in need, we have nothing to offer them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And fruitfulness, it's that beautiful fruitfulness of God's love. Yeah, this is why being present to every moment is so important. So important. I, I've always held, Debbie, that there is a topic out there that doesn't get enough airtime, and it's God's sovereignty, God's providence, yes, but how he wants to use that providential moment to bear fruit. Mm-hmm. In our lives, yes, mm-hmm. but in the task in the moment of existing for other. Absolutely. Because you just said it. If we embrace all that which God has asked from us, then he is preparing something for mm-hmm. us. Yes, for our own salvation, sure, but also how we are called to minister to one another. And there are many listeners out there I know, Debbie, who are listening to this right now and thinking, yeah, I've encountered that. And maybe they're doing what I've done in the past. Hmm, I've missed out on sure. opportunities oh, to minister. Have. Yes, because uh, we have fallen because of mm-hmm. our selfish concupiscent, uh, concupiscent appetite. And so we have this call before us, Debbie, to be able to see how God works in each and every moment and how He's going to work more in our lives when we enter in to this covenant life with Him. That bond uh, that allows us to see as He sees you know, the great beatitude, blessed are the pure in heart, certainly calls us to be pure uh, in, in heart, mind, and, and soul. Uh, but it also draws us into the purity of Christ and the Eucharist, as so many church fathers speak to it. So when we draw from that uh, covenant life in the Eucharist, we begin to see things as God sees them, and it transforms absolutely transforms, Debbie, all of our encounters. And what it does, it breeds joy. Absolutely. It breeds joy. Because when you see God working in your life, even in the midst of suffering, as difficult as it is, and there's always a great tension in discovering the joy in our suffering, oh, man. Oh, man. That the joy is, is to see God working. So important. I know, Debbie, if you have any closing words as we are uh, out of time here. I just wanted to say that the last line of verse 27, Father, that your name may be glorified. Mm -hmm. That's what our life's about, glorifying Mm -hmm. our Father, glorifying him with our life. Amen. Amen. Nothing better. We were speaking, I had mentioned St. Irenaeus earlier. He gives us the great line, the glory of God is man fully alive. You know, our good deeds, our good acts are simply God crowning his own gifts. And uh, I think this essentially highlights what we're speaking to here. All right, very good. Thanks, Debbie, for another Friday evening. Always good to have you in studio. Let us close with a word of prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. All glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen, and God bless you.
Thanks for listening to Seeds of Truth, heard every evening, Monday through Friday at 6.30 p.m. If you'd like to hear this program or find out how you can help support Seeds of Truth, the website is joeholcraft.org.